Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Do you know your GDPR from your ISO? Is your business cyber secure? If not, give agency a call on 03455 760 999. You can visit their website at www.theagency.com. An agency is with an I, not a Y. Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, this week, I'm joined by Rebecca Avery, who is an e-safety specialist uh, from the Kent area. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it would seem I've still got the same kind of cough that I had when I was speaking to her. Um, yeah, this week, we are talking about a number of varied topics. Um, what I am going to say is we go around in a beautiful uh, circle in terms of where we start, where we end up. Um, so this week, we begin with trends. Um Obviously, I'm not going to name this particular trend. It's been mentioned before. It's on my human algorithm blog. Um, We move into uh, youth-produced images and how many organisations, many schools um, are not quite getting the message for young people entirely correct or compassionate or empathic. Um, We we discuss actually how we we can help young people and what what I mean by that um, is how we can actually use the right kind of response to elicit more, uh, let's call them disclosures, more conversations, so that we can actually learn about cyberspace rather than the, um, as Rebecca calls it, the point in the finger you shouldn't have. Um, you know, let's give them the right kind of safety messages. Uh, we move on to the kind of viral films and um, I'm going to say there is a, a blog that I talk about um, Breck's last game and why we we need to really steer away from messages like that because of the the vitriolic um, issues that are contained within it and why that's such an issue for young people um, and you know because it's about cyber trauma so I will always come back to uh, my theory the way that I talk about um, the the projects that I'm involved in the the research that I'm doing but this has been around for um you know since 2011 since I started uh really investigating and and talking about this stuff um because what we are doing is we're trying to use shock factor and pointing the finger you know there's there's lots of victim blaming there's lots of um really pointing the fingers at young people and then expecting them to conversely come to us for help afterwards and not understanding why they're then not doing that. Um, it's a little bit like the message of, um, you know, if you're naughty, we're going to get a police officer to arrest you. But if you need help, go and find a police officer. Um, so hashtag mixed messages are really, really not helpful for young people. And that that's why they get into the difficulties that they do. Um, <clears throat> we kind of talk about e-safety and the number of uh, quotes experts that exist out there and the way that they produce resources and that that actually we we kind of do a bit of a comparison in terms of with CEOP so Rebecca was talking about um, that she can speak to the education team and we know that the education team is made up of um, specialists researchers people who are um, well grounded in their particular discipline and then we kind of talk about you know the commercialist um 
yeah, not just commercialist, the egotistical, actually, uh, frame of reference of let's make a resource that's about us rather than the issue that we're trying to educate around. Um, I found myself talking to a number of organisations um, and actually saying to them that, that the messages that are contained within this particular resource are not actually helpful. They are not grounded in child development or understanding about trauma. Um and then what we do is we talk about how there's lots and lots of training for many, many teachers, organisations about awareness. And then what actually happens is the awareness doesn't then get translated into um, actually applications in the real world. Um, and that, that's not just limited. It's not just limited even to um, attending these safety briefs. Um, that's that's the kind of Jim Quick thing that I talk about that, you know, knowledge, knowledge is only um worthy once you've applied it okay so we can read all of the books in the world we can quote um information from books but if we don't embody it and fully understand it then it becomes you know pretty much useless information um and what it does do is it can scare and it can frighten um and it can misinform and that's that's one of the things that we we kind of critique all the way through the chat um so where where we're at at the moment is um uh, obviously the episode I've done the special episodes we are slowly coming back into some of the alternative um domains um there's a, a brilliant episode coming up shortly around um the the converse reply and response to digital authoritarianism and you know I've absolutely loved what was what was happening between myself and the person I was speaking to there um again we're back into talking about um, therapeutic services and, and kind of how digital media really enables that um, and how the transition of technology within 10 years has changed. Um, I'm looking to do some more around technology. So, you know, stay tuned. This this year, although CyberSynapse episodes are not going to be out every single week because I'm really busy, uh, they will be coming through. There are some really, really good um, crunchy punchy topics um, there's also some that are going to feel potentially quite frightening um, and there's going to be some that are hot on the topic so when I recorded with uh, Rebecca it was the day that the online harms paper came out um, since that time I've had a much much more in-depth uh, read through it um, and if you want to understand what online harms actually are um, I have a definition on my blog page um, because I think we, we, we've become too too deterministic we've become too uh, filtered we've become too focused on what it could be but what it actually isn't because this terminology around illegal activities aren't actually illegal some of them and, and so on and so forth um, so again, you know, what we've actually talked about today are the online harms that can be caused by organisations that have created a resource with the best of intention to help. Um, and actually what they do do is create entirely the opposite. Um, as, as always, please do share this around. Um, I'm hopefully going to have some more parenting style episodes. And for now, you know, have a great week, uh, whatever it is that you're doing, and see you on the next episode. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Rebecca Avery. Rebecca is a an online safety specialist and advisor from uh, Down South. <laughs> um, so, 
I've brought Rebecca here because both Rebecca and I have lots and lots of conversations on Twitter that are um, very similar. Um, we kind of work in slightly different realms. So, Rebecca, I would say you're more preventative yep. in terms of what you do. And then I'm more um, after the fact, uh, because obviously that's what psychotherapists uh, tend to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what we thought we'd talk about today are starting off viral trends, aren't they? Because we're, today we're actually recording on the day that the white paper's released. Yeah. Um, so before we actually started our conversation this morning, uh, we have both been flurrying through the hundred and odd pages of um, what feels quite like an authoritarian manifesto. Um, and, and that's that's just my personal take on it, um, which kind of coincides with the previous episode that will have just gone out with Justin Sherman. Um, so welcome, Rebecca. And uh, yeah, where should we get started today? <laughs> yeah, trying to, I mean, trying to start, I only got about halfway through the white paper, to be fair, over my morning coffee. Um, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's, it's needed, to be fair, but mm-hmm. there's some content in there that... Um, I would like to see a lot more evidence, if I'm honest. And yeah. when they say evidence, I would like to see actually where is that evidence that you're suggesting is evidence actually coming from? Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be perfectly honest, this is the um, issue that I'm facing with my research at the moment. <clears throat> There's very little. Yeah. Um, so I've actually spoken to quite a few um, la- heads of organizations and said you know you you do talk about this stuff so um quite a few people in america you're talking about this particular stuff um do you have any reports or research the answer is consistently no at the moment um which is why i'm hoping that my research will be one of those pieces of evidence um but again uh, as i was saying earlier it's a tiny 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 fraction um so we're not actually going to focus on the white paper, although that might be of interest. But by the time this gets released, we might be onto a new subject because it might take about two weeks for this to get um, uh, the, the audio done and then out. By then, we might be on a new issue because two weeks in cyberspace is a lot. It's a very quick mm. time. So actually, that, that in comparison, that's really interesting, isn't it? Viral trends. So when I do teach, um, one of the videos that I generally refer to when I'm talking to um, what I tend to call old hats and ye oldies because they tend to be in my, <laughs> my training quite a bit um, is years and years ago there was the video with Madonna where she fell and it yes. was at the, the Oscars wasn't it yeah seven seven minutes I do believe that took to go viral interesting um, so I don't know how or how people measure these things but what I did do was I said and it took less than seven minutes for people to change what had actually happened into memes. So I think one of my favourites was um, John Cena. So somebody done a John Cena um, oh, takedown. Okay. And yeah, and as she fell on the floor, obviously did is you can't see me. Um, I saw bull, um, people doing bullfighting with the capes and so on. Uh, very funny. Yeah, but very it, quick. Yeah, and it goes to show that, you know, this is what the internet's about. So we've got viral trends. Mm-hmm. Do you know I've not covered memes? Yeah, nobody's done the topic on memes yet. I I did toy very briefly once with seeing if I could do an entire um, training session just using I got about halfway through and then I started to sort of lose the will to live. But Mm -hmm. it's entirely possible, although I do find that it completely polarises the audience. Some people either get it because they live in that field, but a lot of professionals, it just straight over their head because they don't understand them or use them. 
Yeah. And also, um, there is, um, I'm going to say a rumour. I don't know how much evidence is this. Obviously, it was on the internet, so I oh, don't know how much. Really, must be true. That, that memes are actually going to be um, taken up, that, that it will become an illegal activity because of copyright. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so we're in we're in a phase where we might actually lose the art of the meme and we'll just have to go back to writing text. Oh, I quite like a meme. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of the good ones. There's some that I'm not, not such a big fan of, but um, yeah. I quite regularly, there's a website which has got Know Your Meme. I quite often direct mm-hmm. of challenges. Um, a recent one was uh, frequently I sent a link out to that website saying, this is the background of certain stories. It originated mm-hmm. a meme. It, it's a good idea to, to know <clears throat> what websites you can go to to find out the validity of content or the origins of, of certain stories that circulate online. Yes, one of the one of the people in my training last week said, "If I want to check it out, I go to Snopes." And I yep. said, "And how do you know? How do you know what's on there is true?" Yeah, <laughs> how do you know? Just because fact checkers are true. Exactly. How do you know what they're checking is is correct? Um, which you know, I mean, this is coming to that that trend, and I'm wondering how long we can go before we name it. Okay, <laughs> but this this is that trend, the one that I didn't name on purpose because mm-hmm. of of what it does in terms of algorithms and what it does in terms of just feeding the monster. Um, so yeah, viral trend. How would we how would we explain what they are? I, I guess they're they're usually quite <coughs> simple, <coughs> basic stories. Um, that tap into various parts of human nature that encourages us to want to share them. And, and sometimes some of those stories are positive um, and sometimes they're, they're, they're to frighten or to scare. Mm. That, that being the subject matter that we're really kind of leaning towards today. Um, yeah. So, I mean, trends, trends can be pretty much the same as in the real world. Yeah. So mm. I think I talk about... I've probably written it in my book as well. Um, when I was younger, and this will show just how old I how old I am. Um, when I was at secondary school, the trend at the time was headbags. So right. yeah, people are like, "What headbag?" But it wasn't just a a headbag. It was also how you carried it and what colour it was, and you know, a bit like a bit like um, kind of Gucci bags would be now, and the Michael Kors yeah. ones. You know, yeah. uh, is it is it a fake? Is it real? Where did you get it? You know, was it bought off Lucky Lucky Man off the yeah the, the beach market <laughs> yeah um but that that's essentially what we're talking about is wanting to fit in yeah and and also you know be part of i i see it very much in in terms of psychology that there's an in group and an out group or them and an us and it's it's kind of oh i've seen this story i think it will be really interesting for people to pay attention to um and quite often and i think my favorite um to in terms of viral trends was an article that said something like 74% of people don't read an article before sharing it and I think when it was measured most of the stats came back that people were sharing it before they'd actually clicked on it and re- read it yeah and and in it was just uh, yada 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 so had they have got through the first paragraph they would have seen it was total tripe as well yeah I wonder if we did a similar thing with the internet today how quickly that kind of story would go um yeah with the right headline and the right graphic imagery. Mm-hmm. Well, that would go. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is this is what we um, are kind of picking up from that white paper, but also around um, 
So we, we'll probably get onto videos. We'll get onto how, you know, how things are shared in cyberspace. Mm. So what would be your opinion on kind of the viral trends? And particularly, let's go with that one of the face of the the artwork, actually, the, the, the piece of artwork that was shared as the little girl that was going to come and get you in your dreams. Yes. I mean, for me... When that all, I mean, I've been, I've been dealing with that particular challenge um, for about 18 months. So when, when it all kind of resurfaced or began to be quite a big issue a couple of weeks ago, it was almost like, a, well, this is not new. Why, why is this suddenly kind of kicked off? Why, why am I getting hundreds of schools asking for advice and what should they do? And why are new resources being circulated, which are based on from what I can gather was creepy pasta, um, which to most people, when I kind of mentioned that term, they're like, what, what is that? It's all copy paste. It's, it's these urban legends that as a young person, most of us participated in. Um, I, I distinctly remember on a sleepover about 11, going upstairs to my friend's bathroom about midnight and saying bloody Mary three times and to see what happened to freak yeah. ourselves out and it, it, that's not a new phenomenon for adults to be involved in but it was the scale that this one seemed to and the fact that it had the imagery which was incredibly powerful with it mm-hmm. I mean if you looked at the, the the statue in the full context I didn't find it was as bad but that cropped close-up picture yeah. Yeah. as an adult I really didn't like looking at and I sadly do see quite a lot of awful things in my job Mm. and if I'm not looking at it thinking oh I don't like that what is that going to do to a unprepared child or a a vulnerable adult um Mm -hmm. it it was the fear that it trapped in and particularly with adults thinking well I'm terrified by this so I'm going to show it to my child so they are prepared um, yes, I, <laughs> I did get, I seem to see a lot of, uh-huh. um, yeah, I did get, so obviously my, my job is I, um, I, I work across actually quite a number of sectors. So the, the Facebook groups that I'm actually in is, is really quite interesting, but, um, a few of them were to do with counseling yeah. and quite often counselors aren't quite sure, you know, what we should be telling each other, what, what the children might bring into the therapy room. And there was a particular, there was a particular uh, thread where somebody said, well, I sat my four-year-old down and I showed her this and said, if you see this, tell mummy. And, and I kind of said, I'm not going to tell you exactly what I said, but (laughs) it was, it was along the lines of um, that's not how we educate, Um, you know, because actually what you have done now is you've uh, potentially cyber traumatized. Mm -hmm. Secondly, now that this child knows what it is that they're supposed to tell you at the age of four, how will they be able to um, generalise? So I, I kind of talked about how, how young children think or don't think, okay? Um, so a way a child's cognitive brain actually works at that stage is they can't uh, generalise outside of the specific intervention. Yeah. So there was only something about, so if this child only ever saw that figure, that would be the only time that she went back to mummy. And yet what we're trying to educate children is when something scary yeah. is on the internet come and tell anything, mummy anything not yeah. just that one particular factor yeah. and it, it becomes very specific and that's that's actually what young children do is they are very literal so it's this thing and that's the only thing I have to tell mummy and daddy whereas you know it might actually be anything 
Mm. And and this is this kind of takes us into that realm of you know how how we educate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, fear, fear. I mean, that's that's what made that powerful motivator. Uh, absolutely. And you know, as I wrote in that blog, I think I called it the human algorithm, yeah. because actually it was driven by the fact that our brains have a negativity bias anyway. Um, that's that's how we've survived over all of these years, and pretty much we still have a cave person's brain and it's not very well equipped to be dealing with the threats of today's society and by that I mean anything that can trigger um, a limbic response Mm. so what did happen for me was I saw people sharing it with the best of intentions yeah most of them I don't know yeah however not knowing how else to deal with it I think Mm -hmm. It was that sense of helplessness from, from uh, certainly some of the schools I spoke to is mm. the parents that showed it to their children genuinely didn't do it to frighten them. They did it because they thought, oh, it's better that I show it to them and then they know what, what it is. Um, even though the parents didn't actually know yeah. what it was. Mm-hmm. It's it, Yeah, it was an interesting response. So I'm, I'm wondering, actually, if this ought to be... So I did. I did see actually. There was a small, small section in terms of how e-safety is going to now be taught into in that white paper, yeah. and yet there isn't actually a big enough explanation into how that will happen. Um, but we are, in fact, let's use the word expert. Mm-hmm. Let's get. Let's head towards this word expert, because what what I've noticed as a person who deals with the aftermath mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of companies a lot of large organizations there's a lot of um conflictual advice Mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of competitive advice yes and i think now we become more commercial oh yeah yeah and i think there's something there to be said about and where where will we where will we standardize this e-safety advice because if we can advise parents okay so when there's an issue like this and again i'm going to go with that generalization then you can educate then you could do this this and this um, because to be perfectly honest, I'm finding with the youth produced images, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's what we're now calling them. We've stopped using the word sexting. Um, yeah. uh, we've moved on to another terminology of youth produced imagery that actually what I'm finding is a lot of the schools are having a knee jerk reaction, even though the advice is there and it's still having, um, there's a particular narrative to it and I'm not going to get into that just now but the narrative the narrative around it is um it's it's really not set up for let's be compassionate with these young people let's speak to them let's find out what's happened it's very victim blaming it's and it's that very fear driven yeah mm. so you shouldn't do this therefore my immediate response is this was your fault even though that that isn't always the way i think certainly some of the schools i work with wanted to come across yeah. their immediate responses were you shouldn't have taken the photo in the first place rather than actually yeah, what you should be focusing on is the boyfriend, girlfriend, peer, whoever it is, who has then sent that on to two hundred ever other children. Yeah, yeah, and and I quite, uh, I think it's appearing in nearly everything that I write. But uh, modus operandi, because actually we need to find what what the modus operandi is behind the behaviour. Because for me, it's particularly sitting in therapy, I say, okay, so what happened? Not why did you do that? Because I know that's a completely defunct question. There's no point. Um, but what what happened what led up to this and then how did this occur and what was going through your head and what had happened before and what you actually find is it's nowhere near quite like the way that um it's it's framed on the referral form or the phone call that I get um because I do tend to find that lots of uh you know e-safety p- 
people around the country will message me and say, Kath, can you deal with this? What would you advise? How do I how do I take this forward? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just thinking about this expertise um, in e-safety, expertise in how we how we share and educate, because then we're on to maybe the videos that tend to accompany it. So I think that we might go that direction because yeah. I think um, I think that would cover all to do with viral trends and, and how that occurs. Yeah, and some of it is getting particularly my my field of work is is mostly schools and education services. That that's that's my my day mm-hmm. job. Um, there is a lot of I think fear from schools of thinking how do we do this the right way without necessarily thinking about actually how they get a long-term impact on that a Mm. lot of it is almost sticking a sticking plaster over it and thinking well let's just do an assembly or let's talk about it in computing I think the shift away from e-safety into the into compute from computing into PSHE I think it's going to potentially be quite helpful because that is a much more of a focus on the underlying behavior issues or underlying motivators. Um, And that's what I think schools are struggling with is, is looking at this as something you can't just do a one-off assembly and think that will stop this problem from happening. Yeah. I get it all the time, particularly with things like cyberbullying. I'll get schools say, ring up and say, Oh, we've got a problem with a group of year six children. It's usually year six and it's usually on WhatsApp at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, They've fallen out with each other. We're really annoyed because we did an assembly on cyberbullying last week and we told them about what it was and what to do. And I said, well, did you tell them how to deal with it? Yes, come and tell us. So you've told them if they get bullied, they need to come and tell you. And now you're complaining that they've come and told you. Yeah, mixed messages. Let's go. <laughs> Hashtag. Oh, it's, yeah, the big, the big issue in my therapy room. Do yeah you they, they ultimately yeah. they, it's a friendship issue. Children mm-hmm. will have those, whether they are online or offline. They are telling you that there's something wrong. They are seeking your help. If your response is, you shouldn't be doing this behaviour in the first place or you're not old enough to use WhatsApp, then mm-hmm. you're completely undermining your own messages. So you're either going to deal with this or you're not. And if you're not, you shouldn't have been giving them that input. And it's, it's getting them to understand that sometimes yeah. if you do a lot of work on this, you will get an increased result of children telling you. That doesn't mean that you've given them ideas necessarily it means that they feel comfortable talking to you about it and surely that is mm-hmm. the whole aim with this is to get mm-hmm. feel they can tell grown-ups so uh, an increase in issues isn't necessarily a bad thing um we will definitely come back to that in a moment because <laughs> that that goes in line with um the child sexual abuse child sexual exploitation films and how how current evidence is saying oh, well we've got disclosures we'll oh, come to that yeah. we'll come to that <laughs> um yes so i mean this is the thing isn't it is you must spend a lot of time saying to people okay so educate them and what they do get as an education currently i'm finding with a lot of the children who are in my practice mm-hmm. and obviously who i speak to outside of it as well um is one or two assemblies per year but then yeah, no yeah and then no contextual conversations about so has anybody ever seen this has anybody ever engaged in this has anybody does anybody recognize that there's a similarity between here and here and you know how would you do with it in the playground yeah yes um and using using what i call age appropriate examples so for um one of the conversations that we were having off off here was about how we tend to put adult thinking Mm -hmm. into a resource and then expect children to understand it in the same way and that's that's to do with children's cognitive ability and how they go from 
Well, just thinking about the world. So their frame of reference, um, without getting too kind of uh, academic, children children come from this frame of reference that it's all about me when I'm yep. little. Yep. And that all about me also includes things like, and when I grow up, I'm going to be a dog, you know, and then when I grow up, I'm going to be a cat and I'm going to, I'm going to change into a spaceman, you know, and they don't understand gender and uh, values and morals. And then what happens is the, the thinking becomes more and more complicated and actually... It's not until about 12 or 13 that children are able to start doing the thinking that we engage in. Yeah. And, and, and what I've noticed with a lot of the adults is they forget mm-hmm. what it was like to be a child. And yes. they, they do this, well, that's how I'm thinking, but I can't retrospectively put myself back in that space where I didn't. Un- that's a struggle with anyone who works with teenagers. Uh, yes. Uh, ch- well, we have... <laughs> In in psychology, they talk about infantile amnesia, and I keep saying adolescent amnesia. Yeah. You know, actually, can you remember the pressure it was to be a teenager, and everything is the end of the world, and you cannot think about your life outside of that bubble. Mm-hmm. Mm. And saying to a group of teenagers, "Oh, putting that on the internet, and you'll regret it when you're 30, they can't comprehend that. That that oh. is it's not it's not something that is concrete enough for them. No. No, and I mean, look. Luckily, there is beautiful um, phraseology in terms of cognitive psychology, and we talk about concrete and operational. And then you have this lovely phrase right at the end of it: abstract. Well, you can't do abstract until you're capable of doing abstract. Yeah. And and quite often, I think this is what happens with a lot of the material that comes out: is we put metaphors that are too complicated in, yes. we put uh, ideas in that need that level of thinking, and then we say. <gasps> The children have had the training. Therefore, children are fascinated. They sat there with their mouths open as they watched that video. Did that mean they understood it? Yeah. And particularly with some of the older, I mean, some of the older resources and videos that I know still a lot of schools do use, mm-hmm. um, particularly with children with additional needs. When you put metaphors in front of them, they are so abstract that. Mm-hmm. You, you, they just can't peel out. The only message they often take is that it was the, it was, and it's, it's usually a girl. It was the girl's fault. They, they did something mm-hmm. wrong, as opposed to it was the adult that abused them that did something wrong. Um, yes, because well, this is where Jess Eaton's work comes in quite a lot about what what could she have done differently? What could she have done to prevent this? And actually, that that is something that I do advocate a lot of the time particularly mm. for children who have been um, abused as yeah. I work with a lot of children who are on the the learning difficulty spectrum and um, what we're now calling neurodiverse and new um, you know which typical yeah. formerly, formerly known yeah formerly known as autism formerly known as Asperger's formerly known as whatever yeah. you know because the language keeps changing and the landscape um, so what I what I do find quite often is when we educate if we were able to say okay these are the behaviors that people engage in that you know can be very scary um what i do find in the therapy room is i will be talking to a child and i'll say you know so tell tell me what you think a groomer does or tell me what you think a bully does or and they'll say this 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 and this and i say and they also do this and that and the other we have a conversation and i can guarantee that every single time they will report back nobody taught me that i didn't know somebody should have told me a lot of the videos assume that, oh, we're telling children about grooming behaviour, but actually they don't. It is that very metaphorical, mm-hmm. it, it, because it's such a complex issue and it, it's, it's not easy to get across in a five, even a, even a 10 minute video. Mm. You, you can't fully 
particularly in an assembly-based scenario, which is where most of these resources sadly are used. Yeah. The more, the more recent ones, certainly thinking of some of the more recent ones that come out of CIOP, um, the Think You Know resources, they are much shorter. Certainly they're primary resources. They have kind of two or three, I think both of them actually, both Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2 videos are three short videos. Yeah. And they are quite clear these should not be used in an assembly. But uh, there is still a lot of old content and a lot of private companies that do create content for that specific reason, which is um, Yeah, which which kind of, I'm just thinking this segues quite nicely into um, when when I was joking about the word expert earlier in terms of this is, this is what we can kind of look at is that these safety messages that are out there um, so particularly from CEOP, they will use psychologists, they yeah. will use child development specialists, um, and they're aimed at producing um, resources. And they're quite transparent with that. They will often, I mean, yeah. I know I, I, if I pick up the phone and speak to the education team, they will be able to tell me and name and give me the contact details for every ex expert that mm -hmm. has been consulted. Uh, and I've even worked with um, them and a couple of other organisations to trial resources in schools on a smaller basis to get proper feedback mm -hmm. yeah um i think where where i see what i'm doing in terms of just going forward over the next i don't know probably 20 30 40 years is in the psychotherapy world we are becoming something which is called trauma informed trauma in where there's lots of different uh, buzzwords around at the moment and one of the one of the issues for me is that hasn't spanned over to the e-safety e world which is you know hence what i'm doing why i'm doing what i'm doing because I'm, I'm looking at, okay, so we can have these resources, which, you know, they might be absolutely fantastic. And I'm just going to do that little thing in terms of, and, and in, in the world of normal, whatever mm -hmm. that means, yeah. there is this, you know, this bell curve and you get the, the people who are going to sit within that, that framework. Mm -hmm. But in a classroom of 30, yeah. according to statistics, now this is only statistics where things are reported and known to yeah. statutory services such as the police and so on that it's on average one in eight children might be a victim of child sexual abuse and one in five children might be a victim of domestic abuse. Yeah. I know those figures are higher yeah, because that's only reported to statutory services. And what we do know from this trauma-informed approach and the ACES studies that are now being... Uh, yeah, it's now actually become a scoring system rather than an educative system. It's supposed to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah that actually those figures would put, you know, you might be looking at somewhere between 50 and 60% minimum in terms of the children in that classroom who may not be in a state to receive some of these resources because what we're not doing, and, and it's no fault of the people who make the resources here, what I'm, what I'm thinking is we're in a society that's very trauma-driven, um, so I'm just going to quote Jamie Wheel for a moment, we are constantly living in micro-PTSD, you know, the, the way that we exist in the world today is it's full of um, far too much information. And that doesn't include the digital world. Yeah. That's just for me going into a classroom and I look at the walls and I just think, my God, my head's hurting. Yeah. Um, to, far too many, far too many things about what you need to be doing today. What, you know, the next the next part of your learning is here, here and here and here and here and here and here. And it, um, far too much overwhelm. That what what I do find is that the children who do come into the practice, when we're talking about the resources, mm -hmm. um, the impact that they felt, what what they actually got from it, it's very very limited because what does happen is when something triggers and inverted commas kind of triggers you, you then stop listening to the rest of whatever's happening. Yeah. 
Um, so last week, somebody said to me, I love what you're teaching, Kath, but I lost it at such and such a point because what I did was I started applying that to my life. And when I turned back, you were onto the next section. Yeah. And, you know, and that happens with standard training. So these, these resources. So I'm just thinking we've gone from viral trends and resources. So what, what are we thinking of in terms of kind of like the expertise is how, do, how does a school or a parent or the education system, I'm thinking of your job in particular here, how do you talk to people and educate them in terms of what is a good resource mm-hmm. and, you know, beware the expert? Yeah, I think it's, it's about critical thinking which is is tricky, particularly when everyone is claiming to be an expert, um, particularly when it's a topic where, I mean, thinking of some of the teachers I speak to, they feel completely overwhelmed by the topic Mm -hmm. because not only is it on a a, a device which perhaps blows their mind because they they don't understand how it works, it's usually using language and jargon which feels completely alien. So we were talking about memes earlier. yeah a lot of adults just don't understand what they are um you start throwing in terms like vlogging and uh, youtubing and influencers and adults it, it just feels overwhelming it's it's not quite an abdication of responsibility but it's almost like i don't understand this so i need somebody else who does mm-hmm. who i can get to deliver that for me they often yeah. don't have the knowledge to to listen to someone talk or look at a resource and go that that won't work or actually that doesn't deal with the underlying factors the motivators it's it's just rules and reactionary it it doesn't Mm -hmm. look at that wider relationship or educational context um so i think until we've got a workforce that has had more training i think it's going to be difficult um, I mean, I worked with, as part of the, the UKS education group, we wrote some guidance for four schools around using um, external visitors to come in and talk about online safety. Yeah. Um, and that was as a result of some concerns that had been raised uh, by so-called, well, about so-called experts going in and often just frightening the life out of children yes. or, or frightening parents and not giving them any practical tools or approaches uh, it would, they were often very novel, so you'd kind of like, they'd sing songs and which is all lovely, but the children couldn't really yeah. remember any of the and it didn't result in any behaviour changes. They'd, they'd remember the songs, or they'd be able to tell you about the video they watched, but they couldn't mm-hmm. apply that learning to anything whatsoever because it was out of context. It was a one-off. So we wrote some guidance for schools specifically around that it's probably going to have to be updated because now more and more we're getting schools having to buy in resources as opposed to getting people come in and deliver them for yes. them. Yeah. It's, it's how do we apply some of that critical thinking? So we, we put some stuff in there about questions you could ask experts mm-hmm. to help you or you as a professional think, actually, do I believe what this person is saying? Um, mostly because it was, it was, I think one of the cases that really pushed it for me was a school that told me that their year sixes had been told by a ex-police officer that if they lied about their age on Facebook, um, they would be arrested. Um, yes, I have. <laughs> there are there are certain professions and um, professionals, should I say, um, who do who do tend to do this scare tactic. So um, just for people who are interested, I've written a blog on why why people like to scare, why people like to do this, you know, being involved in their trauma and. 
it was really interesting. I actually wrote the blog after sitting with um, one of our mutual friends. I'm not going to name him on here just at the moment. And we were at a safeguarding conference mm-hmm. and somebody who, um, it does tend to be a couple of professions. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, police officers, yeah. ex-teachers or teachers or, you know, very, funnily enough, very authoritarian. Yeah. kind of um, professions and there's a reason why people go into those professions in the first instance mm-hmm. and um, one of the one of the conferences that we were at there was um, a conversation about and this is what perpetrators do online so here's an interview with a perpetrator and I I kind of looked around the room and I just went oh because I saw people crumpling mm-hmm. um, because obviously that's my specialism I can pick it up at a thousand paces and then another safeguarding conference somebody said um and this is what children are doing online this is the self-harm by the way here's a picture of self-harm and i uh, uh, and this is where our mutual friend went oops does mm-hmm. that mean you're going to write a blog cath and i went oh, you know me so well <laughs> oh there's an idea yeah because it, it and, you know and there was a lot a lot of that happened actually at that safeguarding conference we were at mm. Um, there was a lot about the scare tactics, including, and here's a visit to the dark net. You know, what? whoa, yeah. what's yeah. that? Yeah, I was at a local conference only a couple of weeks ago and it was exactly the same format. It was, <sighs> nothing was, here are some practical tools that you as, and this was a multi-agency conference. Mm-hmm. Um, here are some tools that as professionals, you can now go away with. All it really did was ramp up the fear and then say, off you go, back to your day jobs. Now you know about the dark web. Now you know about how sex offenders groom and abuse children online. And it was interesting. I found some of it, some of it, I mean, it wasn't particularly, I'd say new to me, but it was, it was interesting. But then I got the background of information that I can apply that, which I know a lot of those professionals in that room hadn't got any. And some of them left absolutely terrified. They'd, They'd been shown the dark web and that was a lovely video. Um, telling us how to buy drugs and guns and how to hire a hitman and but nothing yes. and then people saying well how do I how do I talk about this with children and this is terrible it should be it shouldn't be but it shouldn't be around and but there was absolutely nothing to help inform their practice other than mm-hmm. by raising awareness and we have to start moving beyond raising awareness as an education tool uh absolutely well this totally totally goes in line with this trauma informed because yeah. I keep saying to people well good good for you yeah, well, I'm trauma-informed, Kath, and I go, well, so am I. Mm. What, what Does that mean that we're on a level playing field? No, it doesn't, because actually there's a difference between, and I'm going to quote Jim Quick here, um, who is uh, somebody I, uh, uh, yeah, really, really admire, in terms of um, knowledge, knowledge only becomes power once we apply it. Yeah. So you can have as much knowledge in the entire world. You can read as many books, attend yep. conferences, become as aware mm-hmm. as is possibly doable. But actually, the application of it is what makes the specialist, what makes the practitioner, what yeah. makes the person who can, you know, assist you in going forward. Mm. It's certainly, I've found I, a lot of my job is I do staff training in school. So I will go into a school and I will deliver, it's usually, if I'm lucky, two hours um, after schools are sort of a twilight. Um, when, and I've been in this field for just over 10 years, Mm. When I first started, it was very much awareness, raise, awareness, raise, awareness. So it would be two hours of me pretty much doing stuff that I'm now saying is not good practice, <clears> terrifying <throat> them, showing them mm-hmm. uh, here, is, here is all the horrible things that can happen. And it would be the frustration of, of they wouldn't, they didn't seem to be able to pick any of that out and apply that. 
became almost the trigger of me thinking, well, clearly awareness raising is not changing their practice. It's not helping them. Mm-hmm. So I've now, I'd say a good 50% of my work when I do training now is giving them case studies for them to practice. So this is a situation that's happening in your school. What do you do? Rather than me just telling them this is what cyberbullying is. All right, let's work through a case study and pick out those key points. Yeah. They seem to leave, and certainly the feedback seems to be now, is they feel empowered to be able to do something if this happened in their classroom, rather Mm -hmm. than, oh, I'm very aware of the issues. Awareness doesn't mean you're going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if I just give a reflection back from... um, kind of my profession's training one of the things that happens is we get okay um so here's the theory of grief and here's the theory of blah 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 and what you do tend to find is people will go but where's where's the intervention how do uh, how do i do this and it's like well you take the knowledge Mm -hmm. you then think about a case study you work through the case study so in terms of what therapists have to do we have a high, really really high ratio or we should do in uh, across all membership bodies but that's not actually the case mm. um so under my membership body i've got a really really high ratio of supervision because i'm constantly looking at different case studies yeah so that there's something about um in terms of before i could even become qualified i'd had to have done you know between 600 700 hours with adults and with children so that I could actually say okay so not only do I know the theory here is 600 hours worth of practice of sitting with somebody and reflecting back to a supervisor and saying okay this is how I'm applying it and then my supervisor saying okay so what you've missed there is this theory here's how you can do it going forward um you know and when when you look at my profession and the 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 way that we are expertized there's lots and lots of different routes and what you will find and and this is currently happening at the moment actually there's a lot of um uh argumentative um (laughs) behavior around who gets to use what title and why and where it's coming from and so on and so forth but it is to do with as i said to somebody but would you if you had a heart problem would you like to go and see a gp or would you like to go and see a surgeon Mm. because i know which one i would choose and that, that for me is in line with this uh, expertise. It's not just about somebody who has attended training or has read a book or whatever it is, but there's actual evidence to how they know what they know. Yeah. Um, and I think that was what I noticed when we were at that big safeguarding conference last year, that, that one, of the, one of the people giving a, a keynote was literally drawing on his experience of one particular topic and yet flamboyantly stood and said, and there's this and there's that and there's the other. And that's actually, there was no, there was no real, um, what am I looking for? What, what word do I want here? There was no real, uh, pardon? Substance. Yeah. yeah. A lot of it is style over substance. It's, it's I, impressive discussion <clears throat> or people who put on, do a fantastic presentation or beautiful looking resources, but when you drill down to them, if you if you understand the topic very quickly, you can look at them and go, that doesn't achieve any of the things mm-hmm. that it's supposed to. Mm. That doesn't understand the topic at all. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's where we're kind of heading over towards these um, the the videos that do get used in terms of. Um, so we've moved away from some of the horrific CSE resources. I'm going to pick on CSE for the moment just yeah, yeah, because. Uh, they're, they're easy. They're easy to talk about because they're the most prevalent ones um, out there at the moment, aren't they? So what what we are getting at the moment is a lot of um, 
yeah, I don't know how to phrase this. I've I've actually challenged a number of police, uh, a, a particular police force, but I've challenged a number of police forces actually about um, their production of um, resources. And partly that comes from a place where I've been sat with uh, Simon Bailey and lots and lots of different um Lots of different uh, paradigms in terms of, so there's been a child sexual abuse conference, there's been a safeguarding conference, there's been you know, varying degrees as to what it is that he attends. Mm-hmm. And quite often he will talk about um, the live streaming. That's the police's concern at the moment. And I noticed that we have yet again come up with um, more acronyms. Mm-hmm. So we've moved from CSA, which is child sexual abuse, into CSE, which mm-hmm. is the, um, as far as I'm concerned, the palatable version. Yeah. And then we've moved into CSEA um, and we've got county lines as well yeah. we've got I'm just thinking about how many more anyway I, <laughs> yeah how many more how many more videos can we make oh and recently the grooming videos in terms of um, Leicestershire Police's uh, recent mm-hmm. um, edition mm-hmm. which again has you know many flaws and um, I've blogged about that and I think that's one of the things that we were mm-hmm. we were kind of looking at is how how do companies, education systems, parents understand these resources and how do they take them as, you know, this is actual good evidence, this is a... I think when you look at all of the resources that are out there, there's usually, you, looking at the motivators of, of why was that resource created, um, sometimes it is for a good intention um, and there are lots of resources that had laudable intentions why they were created perhaps they needed other professionals to help us steer on how to do that in the most effective way there are others that are commercially created that are Mm -hmm. created to create an income for somebody or whether it be an individual whether it be a company um and sometimes those 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 are intertwined sometimes there are i know there are paid resources that you can purchase from well-known organizations yeah um which have been created with good intentions they have to be charged otherwise they don't exist so it's 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 trying to have that critical thinking of well what is the why did this person create that resource Uh, and then it's applying the critical thinking well will it achieve what i want it to achieve Mm -hmm. or or is this it's that whole idea of going back kind of 30 40 years of how we did kind of educational messages it was the just say no campaigns and it's only really (laughs) now we're realizing that didn't really stop children taking drugs, did it? Or no, Nancy Reagan. Sixteen, actually, we know well that, that it, some children it might work for, but actually, quite a few children. All that really did is they they went on and did those things anyway, and then didn't tell anyone about it, which was far more dangerous than probably what they were doing in the first place. Yeah, it, it's applying yeah. that to online safety when it it feels it's, it, as I said earlier, it's such a, a frightening topic for a lot of adults because of the jargon because of the technology related things like i mean still i get school saying oh we're worried about facebook facebook mm, um least of my problems if i'm completely honest yeah i do believe adults yes big issue yeah (laughs) i do believe that um that was quoted so i saw a tweet this morning that said um there must have been something said about snapchat at the um white paper release because somebody put eh snapchat's connected millions of people and I, I thought well as as Skype as as any kind of social media and there, there's also something about um so I've just written down liberal because I wanted to come back to that point which I will do in a moment but there, there is something about this commercialism actually doesn't need to be paid revenue either um it can be for example 
you know, people making um, a resource that gets their particular um, organisation lots and lots of likes, lots and lots of follows, and then it becomes the go-to resource because, well, look at us, we have a big name behind us. or We've got X amount of followers. We must be credible because we've got that background. Yeah, and I, I generally find that the way that people talk about that is number of views. Mm. So they'll say, well, it's had, it's, for example, let's go back to Kaylee's love story, okay? There was something about, but it's had 2 million views. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, how many of those were watched in one sitting? How many of them were watched by educated uh, professionals in terms of critical thinking? How many of them were watched by young people? So I actually worked with a young lady in uh, therapy, mm-hmm. and what she actually said to me was, well, it didn't work for her, so I wasn't going to tell anybody either. And I said, what do you mean? And that is the first thing in text message. There was no point in telling my parents. So she took that as an instruction and there's no point in me telling my parents. Because it assumes that children have that adult ability to think Mm -hmm. without understanding actually for a lot of children, particularly vulnerable children and vulnerability for lots of reasons. It could be special needs. It could be they've experienced adversity, lots of those issues. Mm. They are such big barriers to that one off assembly based or even even if it was used in a classroom a single resource used in isolation cannot give those messages to like that bell curve the the two extremes will not be able to process any of that content and they are probably the ones we are most worried about because Uh, in the middle if they are approached online we'll probably tell them where to go and that's that's actually what the evidence does show, isn't it? You know, um, I'm just thinking about some of the research that I did around um, that. So the cyberbullying, yeah. what I did find was when I spoke to the people I was um, interviewing, it's quite often the children were saying, "On your bike, disappear." And you know, in a classroom, I'll say, "How many of you accept randomers?" Oh, kind uh, yeah. of this many, that many. And I say, "And how many of you know that they're randomers and then tell them to off?" Yeah. And quite often they go, "Yeah, well, I quick, I quickly worked it out. I accepted them and then deleted them." Yeah. Um, Muted them. Yeah. And, I still and it, to follow. I still wanted them as my friend count, but I didn't actually want to interact with them. So I learned a way of managing that risk. Yeah. Adults, most adults, they hear that and they are terrified. I get quite a few calls from school saying, a child has been approached on, on it's usually on PlayStation or Xbox now, um, by a stranger. <gasps> okay, what did the child do? They told us and they've blocked them. Okay. Good for them. Excellent that, That's what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what did you expect? Uh, well, this is, uh, this ties so nicely. And I knew we'd end up veering off. This yeah. is the Aldi takedown challenge, right? Oh, yes. Because, you know, let's educate children. Don't accept unknown people online until your parents come in and say, um, accept Aldi 101. Yeah. And the child goes, but you've told me not to. Well, on this occasion, yeah. we're telling you, you know, hashtag fix messages. And uh, it's going back to the to the original our original very conversation about a, a certain viral challenge. Um, I actually had a, a call from one of our secondary schools, and the children were absolutely livid. Um, and that was because the local primary school had sent out um, a a resource to parents warning them of this challenge um saying how it was awful and all the terrible things that were alleged to have happened that Mm -hmm. children were hurting themselves or killing themselves because of the result of it and the secondary school kids went but it's a hoax but it's it's a it's a scare story and this has sent that that school has sent this out to my sibling who is now terrified 
And we wonder why children don't listen to the messages we give them because they know some of the messages we give them are wrong. Um, absolutely. And I mean, that is that is typical um, adolescent thinking anyway, to, to have questioned it, to go, but actually, so I, I quite quite often talk about what happens here in, in kind of my household. I taught my children to critically think yeah. and I'm going to go in brackets, bad move. Because what, <laughs> it, what it does result in is when I say something to them, um, I will now get evidence to the contrary. So uh, and we can have a debate that goes on for over a week. Um, in terms of, well, this is what's said about this, this is what's said about that. It's usually about um, kind of the biohacking and the health sector, and we're kind of usually talking about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what does happen is is at the end of it, I will have a conversation that says, OK, so what we've got here is pretty much a balanced view that neither of us know what's, what's right or wrong, um, if there was such a thing as right or wrong. Mm-hmm. But what we do know is that we've taken each other's points on board and we've listened to it and you know um uh, but i'm still right you know that's usually, <laughs> that's usually how it ends up <laughs> yeah well there's something about being a parent you get that right automatically yeah. i think yeah um, but this is this is what i find with the the schools and i think one of my one of my favorite comment uh, i don't know how to phrase this actually there was uh, a post with a parent who'd put up a picture of a little girl about three Mm-hmm. Um, this is all to do with that challenge. She's just cut her hair with a pair of scissors after watching YouTube and seeing this particular viral. And I, I kind of sat back and went, OK, mm-hmm. it's not really ethical for me to point out that uh, you left a three year old with scissors in front of YouTube. Yeah. And I don't know which nowadays would be classed as the most mm-hmm. um, a, a difficult aspect of parenting. But I know that, you know, you leave a three year old with scissors, they're going to cut the hair. And the dolly's hair, and probably the curtains, and yeah, and anything else that's not nailed down. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, a three-year-old in front of YouTube, and what what was happening was this parent was trying to evoke a fear response, yeah. and what what I actually saw in the comments were people replying, "Oh well, that must definitely be true," and I was going, "Okay, so nobody's actually picked up on parenting." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I do wonder with that one whether some of the reaction was almost parents punishing themselves of I read now now I've heard of this horrible thing whether it's true or not I now feel guilty that my child could have been in that position to see this horrible content and I've 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 kind of put them in that position that I've let my five-year-old have unsupervised access to YouTube and I have no idea what they've what they've seen Yes, I uh, I have an example when I was um, training some therapists because obviously we need to know out of all of the professions in the world at the minute, it's my profession that needs to get quick, quick marched up onto this. Uh, sorry, that was quite a military term. Um, <laughs> definitely get them get their heads around this cyber stuff and quickly because it's coming into therapy rooms far faster than people can um, uh, actually really deal with. Um but I, I was out teaching some therapists and I was sat talking to them and saying, OK, so these are the risks. So what I do is I talk about what the risks are and these are the issues. And this is what we we are pertaining to deal with in therapy. And this is how you can kind of think about it in terms of the, th- the theory that exists. Yeah. And I happened to be talking about, I think it was Roblox, might have been Roblox or, or Minecraft, something like that. And I, I was talking about where children have access to the Internet. And one of one of the... Um, therapist at the time is a parent Mm -hmm. and I saw the ashen face and and it's quite it's quite disturbing actually to think oh shit I've just scared the living bejeez out of somebody um 
And what did happen was they came up and we had a conversation and then afterwards, and I love the fact that therapists can do this, they came back and went, actually, Kath, that was my shit. It got in the way because I've recognised I did something that maybe I shouldn't have done as a parent. Yeah. You know, and I, I've allowed this access. Um, and what I do find is that you will find uh, uh, that you will come across the, the responses tend to be. So, for example, that parent that was um, using their three year old was actually doing it to become more famous because the conversations went on for a long, long time. And it wasn't about addressing the parenting issue. It was about here's a picture of my child. And I kind of thought, and what will that child do in, you know, 10 years time when they hit their GDPR? Yeah. What will they do in 20 years time when they trace it back to to the humiliation and parent shaming and so on? Um, but also there are parents who do do the self-punishment. There's also parents who don't ever admit that they've done it at all. Yeah. And, you know, they would say that they haven't. And again, this is where human personality, personal development, you know, human behaviour theories will transition over into the online world. Mm-hmm. Is that We are no different online no. as to what we are in the real world. Um, apart from if you read some particular pieces of um, theory that will say we're different online because we have so many different hats. Mm. Well, actually, if you go and look at what somebody does in the real world, they've also got that many hats. They just might not have the opportunity to be, I don't know, on on stage singing, Mm. whereas online they can actually do a video and they could potentially put themselves into that new uh, environment. So it's it's quite interesting. Um, But... Mm. Back to, mm. yes, this idea of, um, and I'm just thinking, let's not make this podcast about scare the living bejeeps nope. uh, and then get to the end without any kind of practical advice. Mm. So um, liberal, uh, the reason I've written liberal, like I often get accused, accused of being a liberal therapist, a liberal parent, a liberal, because I kind of pretty much have that attitude that you did where we uh yeah so what what happened well there was a person who contacted them okay and what did the child do well what they did was they put them on restricted settings great Mm -hmm. that's uh, and i don't i don't use the term lightly that resilience idea of actually that's a child who Mm -hmm. has seen a potential risk and has applied something within their own comfort zone yeah manage that risk yeah it might not be what we as adults would do ourselves either because we don't understand it or because we we just don't think that that's what they should be doing but that child has managed that risk Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's it's how do how can we give people a little bit of advice around that on here so what what would be your recommendations i mean the first thing is is talking to children i think is probably the single best thing that i keep (laughs) saying to schools and how do we stay up to I, i really don't like anymore this whole here are all the dangerous apps that are out there because they all have the same risks all of them have exactly yes. i mean they've got different functionality but they all pose the exact same risks to mm-hmm. their users those three c's content contact and conduct they're all there on all of them so telling you what ones are dangerous and what is, is irrelevant absolutely that what your children in your context like the only way of doing that is by talking them and the way you do it is what i think is important and we mentioned earlier about this authority if you go in and kind of lecture them and say you can't use this quickest way to get them to shut down use Mm -hmm. the fact that they understand the technology combine that with our life experience which is how we make those decisions about what is acceptable what's not acceptable Mm -hmm. which for most of us is is usually fairly well-rounded and most of the time yeah children don't have that ability because they haven't developed yeah 
So they understand the tech. They yeah. don't understand how to apply the behaviour. Oh, well, that was uh, I was thinking we might go on for at least 10 minutes in terms of. Uh, but I'm just going to go. First of all, for those listening, you won't have seen my little um, excited. Yay! When you said <laughs> communication, that is for me, that's everything. Um, and in fact, I think that's at the end of one and one of Alan and I's uh, Alan McKenzie and I are talking. And at the end, we go communication, 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 because that. For me, that is it. That is how I learn a lot of the stuff in the therapy room is through communication. Now, that doesn't have to be verbal. No. So for me, there's something about, OK, let's. Uh, so, again, I'm just going to say that I am I am a therapist. I use computer games. Mm-hmm. So not only do I use the educative um, biofeedback ones, mm-hmm. I use proper consoles, proper games. And then what we do is we talk through. So this has come from. um some of the episodes that I've done with Tony Bean, he's also a therapist over in... Because I, I seem to be one of the only people in the UK, mm. if not, maybe perhaps in brackets, the only therapist that's doing this with children because I know the risks. And if we're sat playing a computer game and, and we do go online, mm. it's my account. It's not the child's account. So it's my account. And what we do do is we talk about what risks could be happening, how could this be yeah. perceived. So I'm doing it in real time with a lot of them and my job is not e-safety advisor i am not a, a, an e-safety consultant but yet in terms of sitting with a child in therapy i get to do the things that the parents can't do because they're either frightened of the technology don't understand it don't want to converse yeah. or as in many of the cases are not able to so there's a communication barrier yeah um, i just did some training for foster carers a couple of weeks ago and one of them was having asked about i'm, I'm really worried about my my, my child um He's spending all of his time on games. Play with him. What? <laughs> what? Sit with him. Ask him to show you what he's playing, and yeah. you can then have those conversations. If if you were worried about him watching the television program, what would you do? I, I'd watch it with him. Um, yeah. yeah. The the only downside to that, Rebecca, is um, yesterday I was catching up with my catching up on TV, and we were watching the new David Attenborough. Um, oh yeah right so anyway one of the scenes i think it was the second one one of the scenes is it goes to the the um antarctic and there's some there's some animals uh mammals actually in the water and i just started going now was now swimming in the ocean right and then i went oh that's interesting i haven't heard that for almost mm-hmm. and i think we worked it out nearly 20 years so this is this is what happens when you sit with your children and you do do the internet thing with them and you do do gaming with them. Mm-hmm. What does happen is you learn all about this cyberspace. And unfortunately, that comes from a website, which is almost where all I'm going to say people in the range of about 20 upwards will have visited. Mm-hmm. And it was a site that contained memes, cartoons, um, jokey stuff, songs, lip, anything, mm-hmm. anything. Um which were massive, massive, oh, I love how we've done this, massive viral trends at the time because there was only this one of these websites that existed yeah. and that's what that's what the children did. So it wasn't actually social media, it was websites yeah. in them days. Yeah, no, completely. I think going back, I mean, like I said, 10 years or so, when the, the main social networking sites back then were, you, were your Bebo's and your MySpaces. Oh, you see, I'm an old MSN with the... Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 And there are still, I, I saw someone, again, an expert, uh, conference show a video that talked about MSN. I thought, oh, no, these children aren't going to pay any attention. Yeah, nostalgia, but they're going to go, what on what? earth is that? What's MSN? <laughs> and it, it, if the video didn't name it, it probably wouldn't have been a problem. But 
it, it's that credibility yeah. of this person doesn't know what they're talking about and they, they are now expecting to teach me how to keep myself safe when actually they don't have a clue. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, that was, that's been my experience in terms of, um, so I was presenting at the, one of the membership bodies, children, young people's conference, not so long ago. Mm-hmm. And I was in, in a room of uh, male therapists, female therapists. Uh, we, we were talking about gaming I put up some images, one of them being uh, me dressed as Master Chief. This is going back years and years and years. People did not know who it was, um, which I was really surprised at um, because it kind of just goes to show just how much of a geek I actually am. (laughs) Um, Then then we got on to, I was talking about live streaming platforms and I put some uh, kind of figures up and some images. People didn't know what that was. So there's this, this level of concern about at the moment the safety education is tending to go into schools or tending to go to organisations, yeah. but it's it's not actually getting to those that need to provide the help afterwards as well. Mm. Yeah, and you talked earlier about supervision. That is something that's that's very well-rounded and established within your field. Very poor in education. Yeah, well, luckily, luckily for the education system around here, I'm available and I do, you know, I do kind of sit and talk with a lot of the teachers. And, uh, you know, I know... I do know the reason why these assemblies exist as well is because they are so pushed for time with all the other stuff. Yeah. That literally. I think a lot of mm. uh, some of the organisations we've already mentioned, a few of them, they, they, what they don't understand is that ultimately school's job is to educate that their day job, it's teaching them literacy, maths, numerous, all those things. It's not necessarily something they can achieve without mm-hmm. proper controversially funding and yeah. training they and both of those things training costs money good quality training isn't going to be cheap it's something it needs time you need to release your staff for um you need to then know it's good quality training and it's not just as we've already mentioned just raising awareness it's got to then give them something mm-hmm. like tools to take away with them to apply uh, and it's something that I think there needs to be some degree of, of understanding from lots of different organisations there that actually, even even if schools are teaching this, they can't make a difference on their own. Well, that's that's a little bit like this um, the, this white paper released today. There's a huge emphasis on it's the social media companies, yeah. and and I'm saying actually no, it isn't. This is a this is um, and I might have even used this on a hashtag this morning. It takes a village. Mm. We can't keep expecting just the parents or just the social media companies or just the teachers. Actually, it needs to be a coherent narrative that we've all got. And for me, uh, when when I do kind of go out teaching this, this step, for me, this starts off in the early years. This is not uh, uh, um, something that we need to be going in educating at this level because what we should Wait be doing is... 11, it's too late. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit like the CSE training. So when I used to do the, the job, which was, funnily enough... Um, a company that went in and provided the the training um, that basically that was being developed by the person who ran the company and had said right I've dev- I've devised these resources these are the best resources to use yeah. and whilst they had the capacity to ha- uh, open up conversations and dialogue mm-hmm. actually they weren't evidenced and I think this is this is another big thing for me is at the moment you can't just go making it up no. and say, well, this is why we're providing this training because we like it. We think it's a good idea. Yeah. Well, we need to have evidenced, peer reviewed, evaluated. And, and, you know, those evaluations need to also be, again, 
mm. pretty much longitudinal peer reviewed um, provide impact you know in terms of you know when we use this resource what we actually noticed was a reduction in or an, an increase in so and those are the kind of terms that we look for aren't they especially when we're looking at the impacts of a resource or um, how we're providing something and I think that would be helpful for schools is we know that this one works but we know that it doesn't work if you just show it 10 minutes in an assembly yeah and also recognizing that even if you do produce these resources with the whole wraparound of here's how here's the best practice there will still be some people that don't pay any attention to that and yeah, and there will be cases. So I'm just thinking about these words of disclosure um, in terms of kind of the CSE films that what we do is, or the CSA films is what we tend to do as a society at the minute is show them and go, well, we got disclosures or yeah. somebody mentioned it, therefore it's a success. Yeah. Um, or as, as I was telling you earlier, children watched, yeah. which doesn't generally mean anything either. <laughs> There's something about, okay, so where's the before and after? What, what have we noticed? Because the other thing is, is the more we talk about a subject, the more we're going to notice that figures increase because now it's no longer a taboo subject that can be talked about. Yep. Therefore, many of the reports will now um, kind of collect it. And, and I know that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that it, that, that it wasn't a problem before. It means we just didn't know about it before. And yes. I have that argument time and time again with schools of, well, yeah. done a whole piece of work on this. So you're encouraging them to report to you. That's a good sign. Yes. Um, it just mean, it doesn't mean that you've done anything. It, it it doesn't it it was probably happening before. They just didn't feel confident in telling you about it. You've given that permission to them, which is good. Yeah, yeah. I think it, well, I I like um, in terms of my profession, we use words like agency and autonomy. So they were able to come to you and have this conversation, which means do you know what that channel is now open. So keep it open. And it's your reaction to that is going to be crucial. Mm -hmm. if, if the immediate reaction is, well, you shouldn't be on Instagram, so I'm going to report you you've completely undermined the whole purpose, which is you want that conversation to be going. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit like the, um, the, con the conversation around, well, my child doesn't get an iPhone until they're 13. And on their 13th birthday, they're given an iPhone mm. without the conversations about what an iPhone actually is. Or, you know. <laughs> so here you are. <laughs> Ta -da! Um, it's a bit like giving them a driving, driving license without having to do the lessons beforehand. Yes, here you are. Here's, here's a machine that can yeah. potentially, you know, weighs a ton, can potentially <laughs> kill people, maim you know Crack on <laughs> have fun here's a motorway practice on that <laughs> yes effectively what we do with with devices we're giving them to very small children and assuming that they can manage that risk or that they won't be exposed to it and and not putting it's, it's like teaching them how to cross the road by starting them on a motorway <laughs> um yes because that's the metaphor that gets used in almost every e-safety conference i have been at is people will refer back to the green cross code and that yeah and i get that that's a lovely metaphor however they're not crossing one lane of traffic no, no. they're about 30 at the same time <laughs> this is the freeway do you know what i mean and it's like an intersection of da, 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 da. and then what you've said is now make sure you uh, you look both ways just before you cross mm -hmm. but then just go for it yeah see what happens it's almost <laughs> like yeah see what happens and when there's a problem then just don't, you know don't, then don't, don't talk to us <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh do you know i think we've possibly exhausted all of the kind of uh, topics we were looking at without actually becoming quite um dictatorial authoritarian or sarcastic yeah too much <laughs> yeah um is there anything else you would like people to uh know about you know how can how can people contact you 
Um, so I'm, I'm mostly on Twitter, so at eSafety underscore Kent. Um, I've got a blog, which is on, uh, which we can find through that. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it would be, it's that conversation. And I know you've said it time and time again with others, but it's, it's, it's okay not to know everything. I, 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 I don't like people using, and I, I've, I've, I've argued with people who've said, oh, you're an expert. No, I, I don't, I genuinely don't believe there is such a thing because <laughs> it's, it is such a fast-paced environment. We are constantly changing. The risks are evolving. The, the risks themselves potentially are still very much the same, but where they're happening and the, the, the scale at which they're happening is what's evolving. Yeah. Um, but the only way we can really start to get to grips with that is by is by asking those questions, is by talking to children, is by talking yeah. to other professionals and taking our own professional development and thinking, I need to find out about this. Um, it's something I've spoken about quite a few times when I do multi-agency training is, is if you say I don't do the internet, you shouldn't be doing child protection work because this is the lives that children operate in now. So it has to be part of everyday life. Oh, is that like somebody just going, yeah, well, I don't do life. What? I I don't do the internet. Yeah. All right. Okay. See, I get, I'm not on Facebook and I go, oh yes, you are. Yeah. You just don't know it. You just don't know it. <laughs> Your pictures all over it. You Facebook know enough about you to create a profile without you even being on Facebook. Uh, yeah, and there's fake ones, and you know, particularly for my profession, I'll say you go to conferences, you get photographs taken, you are on somebody's Facebook somewhere because you're a relative of somebody, and and you know, and here we are. Uh, yeah. So if you're really interested in kind of facial recognition and how Facebook's working, go back to the episode I did with Justin Sherman. Oh, I can't remember how many episodes ago. Um, they're, they're the really interesting conversations where machine learning's going, where the philosophy sits, where the ethics sit. And I think they're fascinating conversations to have with children. So one of the best yes. workshops I ever delivered was with a group of year sixes where we talked, we spent the whole thing. The school were terrified about underage use of social media. And they, I think they wanted us to kind of parachute in and say, don't use it. And I, I did know. the exact <laughs> And I kind of went, yeah. I don't care what the age limit is. Let's talk about why there's an age limit. And they were fascinated. They had no awareness that it was all about the, the advertising and all that stuff. Mm. Um, and they, they, it didn't necessarily change their behaviour. It informed their behaviour. But yeah. that's harder to quantify because I didn't say to them, don't do it, which is what the school wanted. Um, yeah, so somebody tried to sum up my, my research one time. Well, it wasn't my research, it was my training. And they'd said, well, what, what we're going to do is we're going to put it in our stuff, Kath, and we're going to say posting on social media has consequences. And this was like a true or false. Mm. And I went, is there an option to put another box in there that says no shit? <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, really? Well, of yeah. course it has consequences. So does life. It can yeah. be positive, it can be negative. It can. Be, it's how you frame and- it. And it can be one day, it could have been fine. You do the exact same thing the next day, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? We need yeah. we need to have these bigger... Conv- and that's that's the thing. Don't just make it 10 minutes. Make it at least a morning that you sit with people and say, right, let's have a conversation. Because I think most of my training tends to be either a two-hour slot or four. Um, yeah. and, and I say to people, I won't you do know, any less than two hours. Yeah, you've asked me to squeeze in a two day workshop into four hours and it just ain't going to happen. But what we'll do is we'll bunny hop across a few things. And when we get to something that's of importance, we'll have a really good dialogue. And if that takes up three and a half hours, then that's what it is for my training. And you'll have to bring me back for the other bit. Yeah. Because it's, it's just too big a topic. Yeah. And yeah. It, it needs it needs resourcing. It needs mm. uh, all agencies to invest time, 
that may have cost implications, as I said, um, to allow staff to to think about how does this apply in my scope? How does this apply to the young people that I work with? Um, yeah. And where where can I go, both locally, but also nationally, to trusted, reputable people who can answer those questions that I can't find or can yeah. reflect back to me what I'm doing. And that's certainly locally what I do to, for our schools is, is a consultation service, like much like supervision, is they can ring and say, this is the situation, this is what I'm going to do, what do you think? So that they have that critical space to think, actually, is that going to result in what I want it to? Yeah. And, and risk assess, you know, uh, two of the things... So it's it's been really interesting, actually, when you were talking about children earlier and you said something about the, the you know, the vulnerable children. Mm-hmm. I made a comment at one of the e-safety conferences I was presenting at and said there is no such thing as a vulnerable child when it comes they're to cyberspace. All vulnerable. children are vulnerable. And I was academically heckled about the word vulnerable. And I said, I'm not talking about the legal definition, nor am I talking about cognitive definition. I'm talking about the very fact mm-hmm. that in cyberspace, it's a verb. Yeah. You are vulnerable because you are doing in cyberspace, whatever it is. Um, and it's, it's just so interesting how we kind of, uh, yeah, we kind of leave ourselves uh, open to this. Oh, well, you see, you can't say that because it doesn't apply here and here and here. Actually, there needs to be quite a generalised approach as well. So I'm, I'm definitely in agreement there. Don't know how we're going to do it because no. there's a bit of territorial um, urination going on. Mm-hmm. That was politely put, wasn't it, Kath? Well done. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of territorial marking going on between who are who are the big experts in terms of e-safety and, you know, what, what's happening over here and here and here. And, you know, I will constantly say that it's the children that we need to be doing this for. So even today with the white paper, great, we have this approach, but if we find the social media companies and we, we create a big problem there, we've taken away from the bigger issue of society, which is actually we're all responsible together. Yeah. And, there will be some compliance, I imagine, with most of the big social media companies. Mm. We do run, run the risk with these smaller social media companies who already don't comply. Yeah. Becoming yes much more popular because of that. So uh, the conference I was at where we were talking about dark web and the, the topic of VPNs came up. And actually, yes, lots of children know how to use them, but don't necessarily do it. The more perhaps we try and put that regulation in are we running the risk that actually children's vulnerability will increase because they will start to find more ways of bypassing yeah oh yeah yeah um yes when not that i'm going to do it on this uh, podcast or, or anywhere like but when when i am doing in training i talk about what some of the children tell me in in therapy and in terms of what they have done and that's the bit that i'm i'm going to say actually i can become quite scared of because i say and why you know and it's why do you do that well because xyz and, a, a, and and usually it's a reaction to authoritarian parenting or authoritarianism. Yeah. And, you know, we do know that if you if you make something forbidden fruit, it becomes all that more tasty. Mm. Particularly mm. For, for some young people. I mean, there'll be a proportion that the, the Just Say No messages will work for. But there will be a, probably, I would argue, a bigger proportion that will think, crack on. Yeah. That's a challenge. I know more about this than you do. Because that's uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that's what excites me is I'm like that. Oh, so tell me about how do you do that? Mm. Mm. I learned so I learned so much about. So how did you do that? Well, blah blah blah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and because you've done it in that way, they are much more open to show us. Whereas if it's like, mm, well, I don't like that. 
that that's when they shut down and think, well, I don't know, I'm not telling you anymore because you're going to try and stop me from doing these these fun, yeah. exciting things that I can do and you don't understand. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Ah, right. Well, first of all, thank you very much for you know giving me your time, Rebecca, thank and you. thank you for this conversation. podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.